Good morning. My name is Troy. I want to welcome you here, Kettlebrook family. Um, I'll start off with a story. Friday, March 23rd, 2018, 11 o'clock in the morning. Rodan Lakdim was a Moroccan-born French citizen. And as a 26-year-old looked around the Super U grocery store in Treves, France, he knew this is where he was going to take his stand. The initial gunfire had caused the anticipated chaos as some of the shoppers in the store had fallen to the, front, fallen to the floor. A few of those closest to the exits bolted for their lives, and some of those inside had instinctively and wisely crawled their way to the meat locker where they locked themselves inside as a refuge from the terror. Two shoppers had already been killed, not to mention the passenger in the car of the carjacking that had gotten them to this point. Lakdim, you see, had pledged allegiance to the Islamic State, and he was bringing his justice down on the unsuspecting grocery shoppers that day. He walked towards one of the cashiers. She was a 40-year-old woman, and her name tag read Julie. She had a two-year-old at home. Julie probably screamed as he grabbed her, and she became the hostage and the body shield of what would become a standoff. But it wasn't long before a ring of special police forces surrounded the Super U. Each one of them had been trained for traumatic and horrific events like this. In fact, just three months prior in the south of France, they had done a counterterrorism training drill armed with paintball guns and confronting a mock hostage situation in, you guessed it, a grocery store. And so the men were prepared. What they may have not been prepared for, however, was the decision that Lieutenant Colonel Arnaud Beltram was about to make. See, Beltram had joined France's elite special forces 15 years prior, had served in Iraq in 2015, and upon return from Iraq, he had become a member of the Presidential Guard. Six years before surrounding this grocery store, he'd earned the Order of Merit. Being 44 years old, he had seen his share of conflict, and just two years prior, he had found the love of his life, Marielle, and married her. But when Beltram saw Julie taken hostage, he put his weapon down, keeping only his cell phone on him so that those inside could hear what was going on outside. He entered the Super U, hands in the air, and he slowly approached the terrorist. And he asked to take Julie's place. He got his wish. The terrorist released the cashier, and Beltram took her place as his hostage. The drama that then unfolded lasted four hours before the forces outside mounted the tactical assault that was needed to come in and take him down. Arnaud Beltram did not leave that grocery store alive. But safe outside was a 40-year-old cashier named Julie who would go home to her two-year-old that afternoon. Family, if, if we are followers of Jesus... When it comes to conflict, we are to be radical, self-sacrificial reconcilers. When it comes to conflict, if we're followers of Jesus, we are to be radical, self-sacrificial reconcilers. Now, not every conflict that we engage in is going to be nearly as intense as the one that I just shared. In fact, I pray that none of us would have to engage in conflict like that. Yet, every one of us engages in conflict regularly on a much smaller scale in our lives. 
This morning we're finishing up a two-week, very obviously short series called Conflict Diffused as we've been looking and reading through the letter of uh, Philemon. I want you to grab a Bible with me as we read the, the last third of the letter. It's on page 828 in the Story of God Bibles. Now, if you weren't here last week to give you a little bit of what was going on in the first uh, two-thirds of this letter, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, Philemon, to a brother in Christ who was named Philemon who lived in Colossae. And Paul himself was actually uh, someone who hated followers of Jesus. He was actually a terrorist uh, in his own right towards Christians until he met the resurrected Jesus Christ himself. His life was completely turned upside down, and he shared the good news of what Jesus has done in his life everywhere that he went until he would do so until he got even in prison for his faith. In fact, he writes this letter from prison to Philemon. And as last week, you might have remembered, Philemon was a homeowner in Colossae. The followers of Jesus, the church there, gathered in his home. And uh, at one point in time, Philemon had a slave or a bondservant named Onesimus. Now, uh, I think Ryan explained last week, slavery was different in the Greco-Roman world than slavery that we were used to understanding here in the American experience. But Philemon had this bondservant named Onesimus, slave, and, and something happened between the two of them. There was conflict. I think it was significant conflict. We don't know exactly what it was, but it, many scholars believe that Onesimus maybe stole from Philemon and ran away. Or perhaps he just ran away before his like debt had been paid. We don't know. But what we do know is that he ran away. There was a conflict. He ran away. And when he ran away, he came across a man named Paul. And when Onesimus met Paul, he met somebody else too. He met Jesus because Paul always pointed everyone to Jesus. Onesimus gave his life to Jesus, became a follower of Jesus. And then Paul says, hey, as I hear your story, brother, I hear conflict between you and Philemon. We've got to fix that. We've got to go back and make that right. And so what Paul's doing in this letter is he's sending Onesimus back to his slave master. And he's asking in this letter, Philemon, when, you, when he comes back, would you receive him back not as a slave but as a brother? It's a huge ask. But this is what we see. And what we'll see here is what Paul does as he writes this is he is a radical, self-sacrificing reconciler. So let's, let's take a look at this. I'm going to start reading in verse 15. I want to pray first. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, the gospel is so clear in the words that we are about to read that I pray that nothing I would say would distract from it. That you would give us ears to hear what is so powerfully demonstrated here. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I, I've been having people stand when we read Scripture lately. I just, it's just something I want to do because honoring the Word. Can we stand while I read this? Philemon, verse 15. Paul writes, Perhaps the reason he, that's Onesimus, was separated from you, Philemon, for a little while, was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. You can go ahead and have a seat. We, we talk about, hopefully you'll hear us talk about the gospel every single time you're in this gathering space. Every time you meet here, we gather, you, we hope that you would hear the words gospel, good news, because we want to talk about it all the time. But the gospel is not just good news about something we talked about 2,000 years ago. It's applicable to our lives here and now and every day. And what we see Paul doing is applying the gospel in his life because here's what he does. He says basically, let me take the place of Onesimus. Philemon, I want you to welcome him back like you would welcome me, because we don't have any issues. If I were to come, you'd welcome me in. He goes, but I want you to welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. He's saying, let me trade places with Onesimus. See, Onesimus was, again, he was a slave. He had run away. He had a debt that he owed that Paul offers to pay the debt for him. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. Like, it it doesn't get clearer than what what the gospel is, is what we see right here in this tiny letter. Verse 18. I have been wanting to read these words to the Kettlebrook family for like eight months since I've been studying this book. Here we go. Look at 18, please. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me, Paul says. I will pay it. That's the good news. That is the good news. And it's as clear as day. Because this is what Jesus says to the Father on behalf of anyone who will let him. Anyone who will trust in him, Jesus says, Father, whatever they owe you, charge it to me. And then he goes on in verse 19 to just reiterate the point. He says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. I'll pay his debt. Charge it to me. I'll pay it. Now, at the beginning of the letter, if you weren't here last week, there's a, it says Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy. So Timothy's helping Paul write this letter. Uh, Paul didn't write a lot of his own letters because um, he had younger guys that were, were more able-bodied and write, better writers. They would write for him. So he would dictate, and they would write. Some believe that, scholars believe that as Paul got older, um, his eyesight went a little bit, and so he, he just he struggled to write. In fact, if you look in Galatians, there's a portion in Galatians where Paul says, see how I write with such large handwriting. It's at the end where he kind of grabs the pen and says, ah, he's looking at it, okay, because his eyes were getting a little bit failing on him. Here, though, we see this, he does this again. It's as if at the end of this letter, Paul says, Timothy, can I have the pen quick? Can I have this? And so he takes it, and he writes in verse 19, as if addressing a legal debt, he writes this, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Professor uh, James Dunn puts it like this in his next slide. In an unusual step, Paul evidently took the stylus in his own hand at this point and both signed his name and wrote on his personal guarantee, I, Paul, will pay you back. The change of penmanship would be sufficient visual indication of the author's personal intervention. See, see this? This is Paul living out the gospel again. Because here's what the gospel is. The gospel is that God, who is the author of all history, he takes the pen in his hand and he writes his name. It's the name of all names. It's the name of Jesus. And he says, Jesus says, I will pay it. He will enter into the story that he is writing. And the good news is Jesus says, I will pay your debt that is owed. 
So when we talk about conflict, here's, here's just a baseline thing we've got to do. When we talk about conflict, we have to be radical and self-sacrificial reconcilers, okay? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was a radical, self-sacrificial reconciler, reconciling us vertically to God the Father and then seeking to reconcile us horizontally to one another and others. Three days ago, I got an email from one of our sisters in Christ, part of our Kettlebrook family, and she wrote uh, part of her email I I put in here I want to read to you. Dear Troy, I have a co-worker and a friend who is a recovering addict and who is in and out of an abusive relationship. She has a beautiful infant daughter, but is currently at risk of losing her job due to attendance, which mainly stems from a lack of reliable child care. She's unable to cover the cost of care in a traditional setting, and she has no family locally. I'm currently trying to get my schedule arranged to cover one or two days a week long-term at no charge. But she's desperate for anyone else who also might be able to step in. I got that email. I was just like, oh, this is amazing. Because what this is, this is radical, self-sacrificial reconciliation. See, this is a coworker, a sister in Christ, uh, who looks at this gal and says she has a debt that's paid to the employer. In other words, she has to show up at work. She needs to show up. And she can't show up because she can't get reliable child care. And so what she's going to do is she's going to say, I'm going to take two days of my week, long term, charge it to me. So I'll pay it. I'll babysit. I'll do what needs to be done so that you can be reconciled to your, to your employer so she can be hopefully reconciled to ongoing sobriety and be reconciled hopefully and continue to maintain a relationship with this beautiful infant girl. Isn't that, a be- isn't that beautiful? Amen? I mean, it's not easy. It's costly, but it's absolutely beautiful. But in order for us to do these kinds of things, we do have to engage. We have to engage in conflict as they arise. Last week, we, I think Ryan talked about this as well. He talked about avoiding, right? Sometimes we avoid or we're aggressive or we're, avoided or we're avoiders. We cannot avoid the conflicts. We have to lean into them. And I think sometimes we avoid, and the culture that we're surrounded in at times makes it avoiding even easier. I was reading a study done just two months ago in the Journal of American Medical Association, uh, psychiatry portion. They put a study together at John Hopkins University about the effects of social media on, on youth. And the, the, the summary of kind of their findings in this study were, were this, this next slide here. Numerous cross-sectional studies and a limited number of longitudinal studies suggest that high levels of social media use are associated with internalizing problems, including depressive and anxiety symptoms, although results are not entirely consistent. Some studies also suggest an association between social media use and externalizing problems such as bullying and attention problems. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist to interpret these results. I'm just reading you what their summary was. And what I, what I, how I'm interpreting it as a layperson is to say it seems like we're struggling to deal with each other increasingly. Having conflict with each other, we're not able to do it. And so what happens is instead of actually dealing with conflict in a healthy way, we internalize it, and so we get anxiety and depression as a result. Or we externalize it, which means we lash out and we have abusive bullying um, or attention-grabbing approaches towards things. This is not how we should approach things. When it comes to conflict, we do need to to lean in. Jesus gave us a way to do this. Now, when I was studying Philemon and looking through the conflict that these two had, I need to go back a little bit and look at Matthew 18 to give you. Jesus actually showed us when you have a conflict, here's how you are to address it. Okay? Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says this. If your brother or sister sins against you, go to him or her and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. This is not that complicated. 
It's not that complicated in theory, right, Nate? Nate just chuckled. Yeah, okay. So Jesus lays out a process when we deal with conflict. Here's what it is. Number one. Next slide. You go. Taking notes? (laughs) You go. You go. You lean in. You don't avoid, okay? Number two. You go to them. Okay, here's, here's why this is important. Who do we usually go to when we're in conflict? Everybody else. Anybody else to the basement. Yes. We go, we go to anywhere else. We go to Facebook. Yes. We go to anybody else except to the person that we need to go to. Why do we do that? Why do we find solace in anybody else? Well, because we want to be justified. We want to be right. We want to be affirmed. Say, see? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're right. Instead of going to the person, we have to go and we have to go to them. This is Jesus makes it very clear. But we don't do this. Thirdly, we have to go to them and then show them their faults. Now, this is where it gets a little messy, okay? Because this is not easy to be done. You don't do this. We don't do this well. This is not easy to do. And the reason why, here's what we do. We do oh, Jackie says she does it very well. Thank you, Jackie. Jackie makes my point. Um, so maybe this is the easiest part. Hey, look at you. You're wrong. Right? So we, we end up being harsh with each other. The other thing we do is we use superlatives a lot. We don't actually deal with an issue. We say, you're a jerk, period. We don't, we don't deal with like the issue. We say, we're going to come right at you as a person. A uh, healthy way to do something like this would be to say, um, when, when you did this thing, I felt this way. Okay? There's just language that we can learn around these things. Instead of saying, you always are a total jerk. Okay? Or whatever. Now, the other thing I want to do is before we, before we spend any more time in showing them their fault, we have to back up. And before we can do Matthew 18, we actually have to go back to Matthew 7, which says this. Next slide. See, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, well, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, this is Jesus' words. So Jesus is holding in tension this idea. He's saying, hey, you need to go and show them your fault. But when we go and show someone their fault, you've got to take your plank with you and put it on the table. Say, all right, as I approach this thing, I just want to know there's a giant plank right here. This is me. This is my stuff. And what that will do is that will soften the situation. Because you're just being humble. Paul was completely humble in this letter. We see it over and over again. So we have to go to them. We have to go. We have to go to them. We have to show them their fault. And then number four is this. We go to win them back. Family, we don't enter into conflict to win the conflict. We enter conflict to win the brother or sister back. There is a huge difference. We don't go into conflict to win the conflict. We go into conflict to win the brother or sister back, to win them back. See what, what the evil one wants is he loves conflict because what he can use conflict for is divisions, dissensions, factions, jealousy, uh, envy, bitterness, all those things. He can say, hey, let me use this conflict for that. And Jesus is saying, no, no, we can use conflict to win a brother or sister back. And Paul says in this letter, hey, you know what? He, I think maybe he was, he was gone for you. For, for a time, perhaps it's so that you can win him back, and not just as a slave, but as a brother. Like, it actually makes you stronger. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm not a doctor, but I've heard that if you, like, break your arm and when you're young and it heals, it's actually stronger than it would have been if you didn't break it, right? Like, I don't know if that's true. Is that not true at all? You hope it's not true? Oh, you hope it's true. Oh, okay. There we go. But we can leverage conflict to actually become stronger. I play, uh, I play basketball a couple times a week. 
and I try to stay in shape that way. I, I really enjoy playing basketball. I'll give you an example of what this kind of looks like. This just happened two days ago. Two days ago, I was playing basketball. I noticed there was some tension on the floor. And it was uh, some tension with just a couple guys. It wasn't me. I wasn't really involved, but I could sense that there was some tension. And um, I think I knew what it was. I think there was a newer guy who had come to the group. And he was, when a guy would maybe shoot or something, he might foul a guy, and he wasn't calling it. He wasn't saying it foul. And so the guys who were getting foul were getting, I think, there was a, there was a like, okay, this is bothering me. No one was saying anything. So that afternoon, uh, I called him. I know the guy. And I had a feeling like this is not intentional. I know him well enough to know like, this is not an intentional thing. So I called him. And I told him, hey, I just want to let you know kind of how, the, how, we, how we usually do this. If you foul a guy, you make the call that you fouled him. He goes, Troy, I am so glad that you called me. He goes, because I've played in the, the Y League for like 10 years, and it's the exact opposite. When you get fouled there, you call and say you got fouled. If you're not basketball players, whatever. It's just like, basically it's a 180 degree toll difference. He didn't know, totally unintentional. But we, I, I just, and it's a silly example, but I want to lean in because I think there could have been, there was a little conflict, and there could have been more if we didn't lean in and go there. And he was so appreciative, and I'm pretty sure that will actually bring us back together as a group even more. Got to maintain those things. We have to engage in conflict. We got to be willing to go to them and do this. And as we go, we have to go as radical self-sacrificing reconcilers because that is who Jesus is and that is what he has done. Paul knew this so well. He wrote it to the church in Corinth. He says, hey, um, I've been, we've been reconciled this way and therefore, because we've been reconciled in Jesus Christ, we are called to the ministry of reconciliation with one another, with others. We're called to the ministry of reconciliation. Because Jesus, through his radical self-sacrifice, has won the ultimate conflict. The conflict that separated us from the Father. His wrath, his justice that we deserve, Jesus Christ self-sacrificially stepped in and said, I'm going to trade places. And so here's what happens. I believe that as we understand that we have been reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ, we then can become, we can step in and lean to conflict easier between one another, and we can actually help become reconcilers to others as well because we know we've been reconciled. I saw this as an example in a, in a guy's life um, that I brought with me today. His name is Gray. And Gray, I'm going to have you come up. Uh, Paul, do we have the handheld mic that we can grab? Oh, it's right over here. Um, while Gray comes up here, I want to uh, have you do something. Those of you in the room who are a veteran, if you could please stand at this time. If, you're, if there's any veterans in the room, if you could just stand. Um, I'd like to, can we acknowledge, can we acknowledge these brothers? Thank you. On behalf of the family here, thank you guys for what you have done. I confess that we take, we take it for granted every day. We take for granted what you have been through, what you've seen, and what you have fought to keep us free. I know we take it for granted, so thank you so much for your service. Um, you can have a seat. Gray and I were talking. I got to hear his story. Uh, Gray is a Vietnam veteran. And so as he was telling me some of his story, um, I was just enthralled by it. Gray started off telling me when he was younger. I love hearing stories uh, of, of, of our family. And he said, hey, when I was younger, Troy, he's like, I was the biggest bleep. You know, he could, you know I can't say that, the words he used. But anyway, um, he's like, you wouldn't like me. No one would like me. Um, and then he kind of continued to tell some of the story, and he talked about how he went to, to Vietnam. And uh, he came back. The, the conflict was over in Vietnam, but the conflict was not over within him. 
And so then uh, he shared with me this part of his story, which I thought was really powerful, that I just w- I wanted to have him share with the rest of our family. So, Greg, tell me, tell us what you share with me about what what happened when you came back. Well, when I came back, I mean, you, you, I know you won't be able to understand it, but there was more war going on inside me than than I ever experienced and saw what was going over there. And I mean, I couldn't go to sleep at night. When whenever I went to sleep, I had to either be drunk or pilled up, or I'd be so tired that I had people to tell me that. Well, you go to sleep before your head ever hits the pillow. And that's just the way I had to be. There was such a, all the way I can describe it, a war. And uh, anyway, we went through a, a process of being at church, and, and, and I got saved. A, a pastor led me to Jesus Christ, which I had uh, been in church at another church and, and, and heard inside me just as much as anything that if you go up front, you'll get what you need. And I went up front, and I didn't get what I need. But five years later, I heard that voice again in a different church, and I went. that's when I got saved. And when the instant that happened, the war was over. And I turned around, and I looked at the people, and they were singing and happy and glorious that I got saved. And I just all I could think was, if you only knew, I could just lay down right here on this carpet and go to sleep. I mean, that's how the peace, that was, it was so magnificent to realize the war is over. But it's because I knew Jesus Christ from that moment on. I got saved. And uh, it, it, my whole life has changed since then. I don't, I don't know anything else I can say besides, besides that. It just, it, it's so glorious to know that how that happened. I, I know everybody has a, a story, and but uh, that is just amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Amen, right? Isn't that awesome? Great. If someone's here this morning and they uh, they haven't experienced that, how would you describe, when I talk about this morning about Jesus being a radical, self-sacrificial reconciler, how did you come to understand what he had done on your behalf? And, and obviously that changed everything at that moment 40 years ago. How would you describe that? There's only one word to, to tell you, that he loves you. I found out he loves me. And, you know, when you just stop, and I had reached the end of my line. I mean, you, I, you know, it's a long story, and, and we don't have a, a day to tell you all about it. <laughs> but uh, I had reached the end of my line, and, and just the grace of God reaching out, and, and, and I just saw his love. Other people will tell me this, and, and when you do that, I mean, I don't care what's going on, if you, if, whether you believe or you don't believe, or you wouldn't be here if you didn't believe, I'm sure. But uh, just ask God, say, show me, and he will. He'll, he'll move the planets. He'll move the moon and the stars because he loves you that much. And that's what's so great about him. He, he will reveal, reveal it all to you. That's what he's here for. Yeah, Gray, um, you... There's been some things that obviously have changed your life. What have been some of the things that have changed in the way that you live uh, in the last 40 years now? I have, I have love and compassion for other people, and that's something I didn't have. I was very selfish, very greedy. Not that I don't still work on some of this stuff, but we're in a process. We're growing growing every day in Jesus Christ, and, and, and that's what it's all about. It's, it's, it doesn't change overnight. But it, it changes every day if we'll just let it. 
Yeah, and Gray's, Gray's an evangelist. He hasn't stopped sharing the good news about Jesus for 40 years because he's understood he's been reconciled, and now he's part of the ministry of reconciliation itself. So um, praise God. Praise God, right? Isn't that awesome? It's nothing that I have done. It's just Christ in you. Yes. It's, not, it's not us, but it's Christ in us. Let, let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for this story. This is one of millions of stories around the world where you've come in and you've touched and you've changed and you've given peace where there was not peace, hope where there was not hope. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful for this. You've reconciled gray, and, Lord, you've come and sent your son to reconcile the world to himself through faith in him. Oh, I pray, Lord, that you would show us anew today what this looks like, that you would speak to us, that you would speak to us anew. Lord, we pray this, and we thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Now, one of the things that Gray had shared earlier was he said, just just make sure you, you spend some time thinking through uh, in the next day or two what the veterans have given up, because uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great picture of what we see here, of, of the lives that have been given. Um, we are called to be radical, self-sacrificing reconcilers. And we're called to do this with others as well. When Gray understood that he was reconciled vertically, he then has become part of the force that God uses in this world to help reconcile others to one another and to him as well. I began with a true story of Lieutenant Colonel Arnaud Beltram. i got a picture of him here, a couple of them. He changed places with Julie. His life for hers. He died, she lived. Why? Why would he do that? Well, is it because of his dedication to his job and to his country? I, th- I think there was part of it. But from what I've understood, it's not, it was not his primary motivation. The article that I read about this about a year and a half ago said this. One of the striking features of the stories about Beltram in the aftermath of the attack is that among those who knew him, no one was surprised by what he did. Police chaplain and priest Dominique Ars said this. He did not hide his faith. He radiated it. We can say that his act of offering is consistent with what he believed. He went to the end of his service to the country and to the end of his testimony of faith. Father Jean-Baptiste attended him as he died and noted, It seems to me that only his faith can explain the madness of his sacrifice, which is today the admiration of all. He knew, as Jesus told us in John 15, there is no greater love than giving one's life for one's friends. See, brothers and sisters, it was the the madness, the self-sacrificial madness of him going into that store was motivated by what he knew to be a madness of a completely perfect and innocent man going to a cross on his behalf in a sacrificial way to reconcile us to the Father. In essence, it is on the cross where Jesus says the same thing that Paul writes. Father, if they have done you any wrong or owe you anything, which oh they have, charge it to me. Charge it to me. And so as we close, I would like to turn us and turn our eyes and gaze to two elements, bread and cup, that remind us of the most radical, self-sacrificial act in human history, the cosmic conflict over sin, your sin, my sin, radically, self-sacrificially 
exchanged for the perfect and holy life of Jesus Christ. And so we come together as family, reminding, being reminded of this every time we come to the table, saying this is bread that's broken, blood that's been shed for us. If you're here this morning and you believe that Jesus Christ has radically and self-sacrificially given his life so that you might have life, then we would love to have you partake in the elements. You'll be invited to come take them, come up here and take them uh, from the table here and take them back to your seats. And after everyone's been um, served, David's going to lead the words as we share in that bread and cup together. Let me pray. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, we do just that. Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to be reminded in this of your son Jesus, who he is, what he has done, the radical, self-sacrificial reconciliation that took place. As he said, Father, what they owe you, charge it to me. Charge it to me. I will pay it. I write this in my own hand, in my own blood, in my own broken body. I will pay it. I pray this in the name of all names. Jesus Christ.